All right, are there any, any dads here who you have a, a, maybe a newborn, uh, maybe three months old or younger? Any new dads, three months old or younger? Anyone? You're, you're, okay, you're close. Is there anybody else? Is that it? All right, right here. Bring him a book. And you've got a handful of kids. you got four kids, too, don't you? And his, their baby boy, um, they, he was born right after I got here. And he is uh, th- four months old. Is that right? Three and a half months old. But the kid is huge. He could start for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers tomorrow. <laughs> He's gigantic. And I don't know where he gets that. Probably from Chantel, I would imagine. So um, I'm being sarcastic. You didn't get a shot of it online. So she's a little tiny thing, and he's gigantic. He's big. And Anyway, all right. My name's Mel, and I'm the pastor here at the Summit. I just want to say thanks for worshiping with us today. Um, we're finishing up a series today called Once Upon a Time. And I referenced last week a book by a friend of mine, and the book is called Earth and Sky. I didn't even realize it was coming out this, this week, so I referenced it in my message, and then it came out, and we got the shipment of some books in. And so if you're interested, uh, a friend of mine wrote this book. It's fantastic. It's called Earth and Sky. I got it on Thursday. It came in, and I read it that evening. And um, if you're dealing with grief or loss or pain or you just need to see God's grace in your life, go pick this book up from the bookstore. It will bless you. So pick this up today. If you are dealing with any of that, we'd love for you to check it out. Uh, the, the series that we're working through now, uh, it's, very, uh, it's very topical. Uh, we are really just kind of looking at the story of our lives and how it is laid on top of, or maybe the story of God is laid on top of our life. And, and it's easy for us to look at our life as a story, but really what we have to understand is our story is integrated in the much, much bigger story that God is telling about this universe and about humanity and about, most importantly, his son, Jesus Christ. And our story is a part of that story. It's been grafted into that story. And we have to realize that and we have to understand that. And it's, it's not just about us, but it's much bigger than that. And so what we've been doing over the last few weeks is that we've been looking at the elements of a compelling story. Because the elements that make a story compelling are the same elements that make our lives compelling. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. Um, I, that, that tends to happen from time to time that sometimes people don't believe me. That's okay. Um, but this is the thing. If, if you're not crazy about this and this isn't meaty enough and you're like, man, this, this doesn't connect, it doesn't make sense, next week we're starting a brand new series and it's, it's a monster. It's eight weeks long. It's on the book of Philippians and we're going to walk through the book of Philippians verse by verse. And, uh, and I want to encourage you to be here because there's people in this room that have probably never studied scripture as in-depth as we're going to get into it over the next eight weeks. Uh, Pastor Dick will be preaching one of the weeks. Uh, we've got one of our uh, church plants that we support. He's going to be here in a few weeks, and he's going to be preaching during that series too, so I'm excited about that. Uh, but even that, the book of Philippians, is really a story, and it's part of God's story that he's telling. It's part of God's narrative for us. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about um, the idea that every story has to have a good lead character. And if you're the lead character of your story, there's some things you can and can't do. The most important things you can't do as the lead character of your story is look at yourself as better than others. The second that you feel like you are better than somebody else, you go from being the hero or the lead character to the villain of your story. And then last week we talked about how every lead character of every compelling story has to have a great ambition. They have to want something big in their life. They can't just want a Hyundai Is there anything wrong with a Hyundai? Absolutely not. But if that is the grand ambition, it's not going to be a very compelling story. 
They have to want something bigger, and it has to matter. It has to have consequences that if they don't achieve what they want to achieve, if they don't get what their grand ambition is, it's not going to just matter to them. It's going to matter to others as well. So those are the things we talked about over the last few weeks. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go download the podcast or go listen to those sermons online. Uh, But today, we're going to look at a couple of aspects, and really I had intended on this being um, week three and then finish up next week, but I combined these two because I felt like they fit together, and I wanted to add four more weeks to my Philippians series that we're doing next week, starting next week. Uh, But today we're going to talk about conflict and resolution. Um, Now... This would have gone over big if we were living in Texas or even Oklahoma because they have a lot of conflict down there. But here, I know none of you deal with conflict, so none of us here have anything to worry. You're just sitting here thinking, I can mail this in because I have no conflict in my life at all. So if that's you, just turn off your brain for a little bit, take a little nap. I know some of you will anyway, so just take a nap and doze off. It'll be okay. We'll wake you up in 30 minutes um, after we finish this. But for most human beings, they deal with conflict in their life. Even if you're a pastor of a church, you deal with conflict in your life. Even if you are doing the very best you can to serve Jesus, you're going to deal with conflict in your life. And this is the thing about conflict. Jesus never, ever, 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 ever promised us that our life would be conflict-free. He never said, hey, come follow me, and your life is going to be so easy. You're going to have it made. You're going to get checks in the mail. You're going to have cars and things are going to be awesome and you can you know have your own company you're going to your boss will be working for you someday like that's not what God said God said it's going to be tough hey come follow me it's going to be hard but it's going to be worth it and this is what I've discovered in my life over and over and over again is that God doesn't call us to easy things God calls us to do hard things But when we do the hard things that God is calling us to do, it is always worth it in the end. I've never heard anybody on their deathbed that said, I lived a long life for God, I did what he was asking me to do, and I just wish I would have drank more. I wish I would have partied more. I wish I would have spent less time with my kids. I wish I would have gone to church less. It doesn't happen. Why? Because people that have lived a long life for God, they understand that it was worth it all. Every good story has conflict in it. Every good story. Think about your favorite story. There's conflict in that story. Um, I've been given a hard time to Hallmark movies, so why stop now? It's week three. Let's go back to Hallmark movies. Now, a good Hallmark movie, what happens in it? Well, I, well it's kind of an oxymoron, like Jumbo Shrimp, good Hallmark movie. At the, in the Hallmark movie, what happens in a good Hallmark movie? Boy meets girl, right? Boy meets girl, and it's unexpected, and they, they begin to love each other, and they fall in love, and then something happens. A secret is revealed, something about his past, and it drives a wedge between them, right? And then they can't love each other, and they're driven apart, and she's on a plane. She's flying out of town, and he's running down the runway next to the plane. Don't go! And the plane screeches to a halt. And she comes out, she opens the emergency hatch, and the TSA agents are running after her. They're about to taser her because she opened the emergency hatch. And she slides down the slide, and they embrace, and they hug, and it's you, it's always you. I love you, right? What made that moment possible? The wedge of conflict that was driven between them. Because it wouldn't have been a very watchable movie if it would have been boy meets girl, they fall in love and get married, the end. Wah, wah. Like, that's no fun. We want to see the woman get tased by the TSA agent, right? We want to see the, we want to see the conflict because that's what makes a story compelling is the conflict. Think about your favorite movie. 
Think about your favorite story, your favorite book. It is rife with conflict. If it doesn't happen, there's nothing to contend against. There's nothing that will make it worth watching. Now, it's not even movies and stories. Think about, um, I am not a reality TV fan, because usually it's not even close to reality. It's so far removed from reality, it's ridiculous. I saw a preview on TV. This has nothing to do with my message. This is bonus coverage. Um, I see this preview. I think it's on A&E, maybe, but um, it's this, this big guy. He's, he's a big guy, and he is a rapping cowboy, and it, it really, I forget, Big Mo, Big Schmo, something like that. And it looks like the worst show ever. And if you like that show, I'm so sorry. I'm apologizing to you now to each his own. But I'm like, why would people watch this? Honey Boo Boo, why do people watch that show? <laughs> Clearly people are watching it because it's still on television. And there are people in this room that are like, yeah, who would watch that? And you're like, do I have that DVR later today? Okay, yeah, I do. But I like, there's some shows that I like. Um, I like Extreme Home Makeover. Does anybody like Extreme Home Makeover? Okay, I can get behind that show. I like that show. And one of the reasons I like the show is they don't just pick a nice family and say, hey, this is a nice family. We're going to tell you their story. And uh, they've got three kids, and they love the Lord, and that's it. So let's build them a house. What is the story? It's, well, they were married at a young age, and they give to the poor, and they help people, and they've had kids, but the kids have uh, physical issues, and they can't, they've had medical bills they can't pay for. And so at the end of the show, you know, they say, hey, we're not only going to build you a house, but we're going to make this home in such a way that it's going to be perfect for your child that has this handicap, and this is what's going on. And move that bus, and they move the bus, and the people cry, and you are crying when they move the bus. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. They moved the bus. It's, it's so much, right? And the reason that moment is possible is because you saw the conflict. You saw the issues in their life. You wanted to root for them. Does anybody watch um, uh, Undercover Boss? Oh, yeah, that gets me every time. At the end, the boss, he's all burly and mean. He has, like, waste management or something like that. And at the end of the show, he's telling the lady, hey, you're, you, I know you're working for waste management. You're homeless, but we're going to buy you a home. And the lady, <laughs> she starts crying, and he starts crying. And me, I'm like, mm, I'm crying. I'm like, so good. Why? Because there's conflict in their life. And that makes the resolution all the sweeter. Does that make sense? We can't appreciate the good without the bad. And that's no fun to say, but it's true. It's no fun to live out, but it's true. Without the conflict, we cannot appreciate fully the resolution that God brings to our life. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. This is just going to bless you. Are you ready for this? John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That is not something you're going to see Joel Osteen tweeting. The world hates you, right? That's not a po popular sentiment. But this is what Jesus is saying. is If you are one with me, if we are one in the body, then the world is going to despise you just like the world despised me. In verse 20 it says, Remember, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they also keep yours. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the master of this house, and they're persecuting me. How much more will they persecute you? 
if you're a follower of me, if you believe what I believe, if you say what I said, if you live like I live, you will be persecuted. Now, that does not sound like the kind of speech that you would hear from someone who's trying to get people to sign up, like multi-level marketing. Hey, we're going to invite you to a, you can come and hear about a timeshare, and we're going to give you a free trip, and, and also the world is going to hate your guts. But that's what Jesus said. You're going to be despised. The world is going to hate you. <laughs> Again, we don't like to hear this. We like to hear we are more than conquerors, which is absolutely true. But the truth is there are people that are going to oppose us. When we are walking in God's plan for our life, when we are pursuing a God ambition in our life, we will encounter opposition. Not everyone will like what God is doing in your life. I knew this would be a popular message. People are just shouting me down. You can't hear it online, but you, these people are going crazy here. They love this. <laughs> Matthew chapter 10, this is what Jesus said. He said, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Again, doesn't that just encourage you? He's saying, hey, this, this is, let me paint you a picture, disciples. I'm going to send you out, and you're just like sheep among a bunch of wolves. Who's ready to sign up? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you, brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. Then children will, will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And verse 23 says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before, before the Son of Man comes. <laughs> This paints a very different picture of a disciple than what we see a lot of times. Because we want to make it sound like if you just follow Jesus, it's going to be great. And here's three easy steps to have all your problems resolved in your life. And every conflict you have, if you just do this, this, and this, everything's going to be good. And we like hearing that. We like seeing that. But Jesus makes it very clear there are not easy steps to eliminate conflict in your life. You will always have conflict. You will always have people that are opposing you as long as you are doing the will of God and as long as you are pursuing what he's got for you. Now you're sitting here thinking, this is the worst message ever. Like, I could have stayed home and, and not listened to this and I would have been just as good off because I'm feeling discouraged now. I totally get that. Because if you read this, these passages in a vacuum, it's discouraging. You think, what is the point? Why would I do that? But again, God doesn't call us to easy things. He calls us, calls us to hard things because it is worth it. This is what it says in verse 24. It says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? And this is what it says in verse 26. So have no fear of them. He says, I, I know it's scary. I know what I'm going to call you to do is going to be difficult and challenging. And you're going to encounter opposition at times. And there are going to be people that bring conflict into your life. But I know you're there. I know you're scared. For nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And whatever you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Verse 30 is so powerful. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows you so well. He loves you so much. He's got every single hair on your head numbered. Now, guys, some of you might be easier than others to number the hairs. Let's be real, but God loves you so much. He knows everything about you. If he, if he knows every sparrow that falls, how much more is he going to know when you're dealing with conflict, when you're going through a situation that is challenging, when you're wondering how you're going to make it through? God knows. Verse 31 says, Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Fear not. Are we going to experience conflict? Absolutely. I wish I could tell you today, okay, here's three magical steps for dealing with conflict. Nope, the Bible gives us steps what you can do. It doesn't say it's going to get rid of conflict, but it tells you how you can deal with it. I'm not even going to do that today because you will deal with conflict. You will deal with naysayers. You're going to deal with people when you say, you know what, I feel like God's speaking to me to go be a missionary. They're going to go, you're too old. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. You're not good looking enough. You're not talented enough. You've never been to Bible college. When you tell people, you know what, I feel like God is is telling me that... um, that, that we're going to make this change in our life, or God's speaking to us and we need to sell our house and downsize, or God's speaking to us and we need to do this. I'm going to change careers and God, go into ministry. And people are going to say, you are nuts. Why would you do that? You've got a six-figure income. You're, you're doing well. You're advancing in your company. You're going to have people that will oppose you when you tell them what God is speaking to you to do. And God says, don't be afraid. I love you so much. I'm not calling you to do something I'm not going to equip you to do. I'm calling you to do something that's scary, <laughs> that's, that's hard, but I'm there with you. Matthew chapter 28, we talked about this verse last week at the end of our service. This is what it says, this is the Great Commission, I'm going to re- only read a part of it, and Jesus says in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is part of our great ambition, that all of our ambitions for God should be tied to this somehow, that we're making disciples, that we're growing people, that we're helping those that are marginalized. This is what it says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Is God calling us to do something that might be over our heads? Yes, absolutely. Is he calling you to do something that might be ambitious? Absolutely. You will experience conflict. You're going to experience people who say you can't. You're going to experience situations in your life that seem overwhelming. But I've got good news. God's not sending you out without reinforcements. He's going with you on this journey. He's not saying, good luck with this. I hope it turns out well. He's saying, pack your bag because I'm coming with you. You're not in this thing alone. Fear not, I am with you even to the end of the age. No matter what happens in this world, that's what Jesus is saying. No matter what the circumstances of life tells you, no matter what your eyes tell you about why you can't win, why you are going to be overcome, Jesus is saying, I am with you. No matter what happens in this world, I am beside you. If you're doing what God has called you to do, you're going to experience conflict. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hurtful. But he's calling us to do it. You know, I, I am not a, a master outdoorsman, 
I might shock you, uh, but I've done some things. Uh, I've gone um, has horseback riding. I know we've had some people here who own horses. I took a group of, of my youth to um, go horseback riding on a, on a retreat one time, and we get there, and there's, you know, 20 of us or something that are riding horses, and the lady says, okay, now what is your level of experience? What is your level of expertise with the horses? And I'm like, okay, what's the scale? And she said, one to ten. I was like, zero then, I guess, is is one the worse than zero or negative three? I don't know. I owe you experience, I guess. I don't know how that works. Um, but I was like, I got no experience riding horses. I mean, when I was a kid, a little bit, but none really. Just, okay. And so they put me on this horse, and, you know, the horse is totally just, you know, barely getting by. It looks like it's like one foot in the grave, and it's, you know, they're not going to put me on, you know, silver out there running down the path. They want to put me on the safe horse. This is what we want to do with God. We want God to say, okay, now, I'm going to challenge you to do something great. Now, what is your level of expertise? And we go, zero, God, zero, negative three. That's my level of expertise. Like, don't challenge me to do too much. I want to take some baby steps here, God. But that's not what God's asking us. God doesn't say, hey, what's your level of comfort in what I'm asking you to do? He just says, I'm going to strap you on this horse, and it's going to be so scary. And you should probably be a 10 to ride it, but that's okay. You're not, but I'm going to be with you through this. God's asking us to do scary things, big things, bold things, and we will encounter people who tell us we're fools for doing it, but it's going to be worth it. There are a few ways we experience conflict, and I'll show you these in Scripture. Um, The first one is internal. We, We experience internal conflict, and this is when God speaks to us about doing something, and our will comes into opposition against God's will. And again, this isn't for anybody here, but those people in Oklahoma and Texas are a bunch of pagans, and they experience this all the time. Um, It's when God speaks to us about something in our life, and we go, God, that's great, but that is not for me. Now, you might think you're alone in this, that you're the only one that's experienced that, but there's a guy named Moses in, in Exodus. God spoke to him from the burning bush and said, Moses, this is what I want you to do, and this is how you're gonna do it. And Moses goes, no, 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 you got the wrong guy, I'm a shepherd. I am ill-equipped to do that. I am no statesman. I'm no spokesman. I'm no warrior. I am a shepherd, and that's all I am. And God says, no, you're not. You're my chosen vessel. This is what I want you to do. Now go do it. And Moses has this conversation with God. Can you imagine arguing with God? Now, I can imagine I've argued with God in my spirit before. I go, no, God, I can't do that, and I'm not... I can't, I'm not strong enough, I'm not equipped enough, I can't, you know, you go through the reasons. But Moses was literally doing it out loud, like, he's talking to this bush that's burning, and I, the other night, we were, um, we'd gone to eat, and I don't even, oh, where were we at? Anyway, we're, we're sitting at dinner, me and Kim and the girls, and we're sitting there, and Abby is making these faces, like, these insane faces, and she's going, blah, 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 doing, you know, and I don't even know what she's doing. I was like, Abby, you gotta stop, baby. If people are walking by, they're gonna think you're crazy, and she said, what? And I said, you were going, blah, 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 and I start making these faces, and Kim was like, babe, you're making people think you're crazy because you're sitting here making those faces. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess, well, we are a little crazy. That's okay. But if somebody would have walked by and Moses is having this conversation with a bush, he's arguing with the bush, he's like, but don't you know who I am? And somebody walks by and they're like, he is talking to a raging inferno of the bush over there. Like, he, he looked crazy. It seems insane that he would do that. But he's having this conversation with God and he's listing the reasons why God is wrong. <laughs> right? The God of the universe, he's infinite and he's Moses, who's finite, says, God, you're, you're wrong about this. You got the wrong guy. And as silly as it sounds for Moses to have this kind of conflict, it was, it was true anyway. His will came into opposition against God's will. And finally, Moses relented and said, okay, I'll go. 
I'm going to do it. And it was scary. It was terrifying. It was hard. He had opposition, but he did it anyway. You know what's funny is he was even opposed by the people he was trying to save. <laughs> At one point, he had gotten them out of the wilderness, I mean, out of Egypt, and they were having some hard times. And they're like, you know what, Moses, you, we would have been better off in Egypt. We'd have been, take us back to slavery because this is so bad. Moses had opposition, but started with his internal opposition. He was struggling with the will of God for his life. He had to overcome that. There's no magic way to overcome that. It's by simply trusting God, saying, okay, God, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are infinite, and I believe you are the God of the universe, and I believe I am not the God of the universe. Because Some of us like to believe we are, but we're not. The second kind of conflict is external, and I'll break this down. Um, there's Basically, two kinds of conflict. Relational conflict as external conflict. And we all know what this is like. We've all um, had an argument with your spouse. You all have uh, times that your will comes into opposition against someone else's will, whether it's a boss, whether it's a coworker, whether it's your children, uh, that, that two people want something that's different and they come into opposition. Now, it doesn't mean that either one of those people are evil. It doesn't mean that either one of those people are bad or of the devil. It's easier to characterize people that way, where you go, well, I love Jesus, and I want this, and they want something else, so they must not love Jesus as much as I do. But that's not the case. God can allow two people to be in conflict that love Jesus very much that just happen to be in conflict and have two different opinions. Sometimes that's the case. We see in Nehemiah, I love the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, um, just to give you the nutshell, basically Nehemiah was a servant and uh, he heard that Jerusalem, that the walls of Jerusalem, his homeland, had been torn down, that the city was in shambles, and he had a heart for Jerusalem. Uh, God placed this divine ambition in his heart to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to make it a city again of power and authority. And so he got this ambition in his heart, and he's just a servant, and he's not anybody, he's not anybody special, and he goes to the king and says, can I? And the king blesses him and says, yeah, I'm going to send you materials. I'm going to send you everything you need. You're going to go with my authority. So he goes, and you think, what a great story, right? God is, is opening the doors and sending him on his way, and everything is clear as day, and things are going to work out great here. And he gets there, and he says, guess what, everybody? I'm here to rebuild the walls. Who's with me? Anybody? Hello? Anybody? Hello? Right? This is what Nehemiah did. He gets there and people aren't nearly as excited about it as he thinks they should be. They were used to living in the condition they were living. They had kind of grown accustomed to getting their crops stolen and, and kind of being in danger. And it wasn't as bad as they thought it would be originally. And now he was wanting to rock the boat for them. So he gets there and in, in Nehemiah chapter 4, he experiences this relational conflict with Sanballat. Sanballat was this ruler of a, a local city and he realized that if the walls were rebuilt in Jerusalem, that he was going to lose some authority and some power. So he gets some of his buddies together and they come against and they oppose Nehemiah. The, their wills were at, a, at opposition to each other. Does that make sense? But not only that. In Nehemiah chapter 5, the people weren't very happy about it. They just said, okay, you know what? Enough is enough. We're working like crazy. We're trying to build these walls. What's the point? Who cares? But Nehemiah knew that God had spoken to him about rebuilding those walls, that it was a divine ambition God had placed in his life. And he experienced opposition all around himself, but he still pressed through. That's your will versus others' will. And the last one is circumstantial conflict. We all experience this as well, that you feel like you're doing what God has called you to do, you're living your life, and you get, um, you get a diagnosis from a doctor that seems to derail things. Something happens with your children, and you go, oh my gosh, how am I going to walk through this? 
And see, that is your will, and at the risk of being too spiritual, that's the will of the enemy for our lives. That the devil has a plan for you, that he wants you to live in such a way, and he's trying to derail God's plan for your life, and he's going to bring opposition. Now, I want to say this. If you get a sniffle, sometimes you just get a sniffle. It does not mean that a demon is opposed to you and trying to give you a sniffle. Sometimes you just get a sniffle. Okay, so um, there's not a demon behind every corner. Sometimes we're part of this. We just get a sniffle, all right? Does that make sense? But I will tell you that if you are doing what God has called you to do, the devil knows who you are. And he is out to get you. And he is opposed to you. And you will experience opposition in this world. And that's reason enough for some people to go, you know what? Maybe I want to back out of this thing. Maybe I don't want to be a part. I don't want the devil to know who I am. It's more dangerous for him to not know who you are than it is for him to know who you are. Because if he doesn't know who you are, that means you are living a life that's not compelling. Um, I read a story a couple years ago about a Navy SEAL. And uh, it was actually, and I, I don't remember the name of the book now, but it was one of the guys that was on the um, squad that, um, that got Osama bin Laden. And uh, it was the first big book that came out after that. And I was reading through the story, and this Navy SEAL was talking about his experiences, even, you know, in boot camp and things like that. And he was talking about his SEAL training. And he just described it as one of the most grueling, unbelievable things you could ever have to go through physically, emotionally, just totally draining And he said the only way he got through that was to section off his days, was to basically say when he woke up first thing in the morning, okay, if I could just make it to breakfast, it'll be okay. I'm just going to make it to breakfast. And if I could just get there, I'll be all right. And then he would make it to breakfast. And he would say, okay, if I can can just make it to lunch, that is my only goal. If I can make it to lunch, then we're going to be okay. And then you get to lunch and he'd say, okay, um, if I can just make it to dinner tonight, that's my goal. And he would section off his day in such a way that instead of saying, I've got weeks of this training to go through, how am I going to endure it? He broke it down and said, if I can just make it to this next checkpoint, I'm going to be all right. And some of us, we look at our experience, we look at the opposition we're dealing with, and we look at the things that are coming against us, and we look at this grand plan that God has for us, and we say, how can I ever get to that point? It seems so far away, and it seems so big. How am I going to get there? But God's not asking us to look at it like that. God wants us to take one bite at a time, take one step at a time and say, you know what, if I can just make it to this next checkpoint, I'm going to be okay. We never lose sight and we never lose focus on what God is calling us to do, that he is calling us to do something great and big and not just survive. But if we can section that off and go, okay, God, I know what you're calling me to do, but this is what you're calling me to do today. I'm going to take this step. I'm going to overcome this today. I'm going to get by this. Somebody was talking to me, and I might have said this, but somebody was talking to me a few weeks ago about... um, you know, reaching the lost people in our community. And they said, man, there's so many lost people here. How, how do we do that? I mean, is, is our effort really going to make that big a difference? And I said, well, I mean, we've all heard this, but how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. You don't try to stick the whole thing in your mouth all at once. You say, you know what, I'm going to take this, tackle this thing in segments. We're going to take one bite here, one bite there, one bite there. And before you know it, we got this thing beaten. There used to be a hamburger place in Oklahoma City. Everything in my life relates to food somehow. I don't know why. Um, there used to be this hamburger place in Oklahoma City called Big Ed's Hamburger, and Big Ed was a big dude, hence the name, Big Ed. It's, it wasn't ironic, it was for real. Uh, he was a big guy. He owned these hamburger restaurants all over the city, and they had these, uh, this, these hamburgers that were the size of a pizza. I mean, they were like that big. I'm not kidding. And if you could eat the whole hamburger in an hour, or maybe it's 45 minutes, the whole hamburger and your fries, uh, you got it for free, and they'd give you a t-shirt. But they, you'd also like, get a free ambulance ride and you know, have to have your stomach pumped, I guess. 
But when I was a kid, I mean, that was my one ambition in life. It was like, man, I want to eat one of these. I want to get to the point someday that I can eat that hamburger. And I thought if I could eat that hamburger, uh, my life will be complete, right? I'm an eight-year-old. And so I realized pretty quickly it would never happen. Because after soccer games, you know, we'd go to Big Ed's hamburger, and me and some of my teammates and my family, we'd be sitting around, we'd get one of these hamburgers, and it would take all of us to eat this thing one bite at a time, we'd segment it off. It wasn't happening, me by myself, eight years old, eating that thing. It took the people around me helping me do that. And this is true of our God's calling in our life and our opposition as well. It's easy for us to be isolated when we're walking through something and say, I'm all by myself, I'm all alone, I got nobody supporting me. But God has surrounded you with people that believe in you, that are supporting you, that want you to get to that God-appointed dream that you've got for your life. The question is, will you? Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, I read it earlier. It says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the key. Endurance, perseverance, not giving up. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's the key. Not giving up. Every single day, as tough as it is, to get to what God's calling you to do, to put one step in front of the other, take another breath after another breath, and get through that. Conflict is going to happen. The exciting part is resolution. I say it's exciting. Sometimes it's not. Because we all like the resolution of the story and they all lived happily ever after, right? It's like, oh, then everything was perfect and right. But the truth is, we don't live in that world. That sometimes the resolution of our story is not that we all live happily ever after. The truth is, sometimes you pray for someone and they still get sick. Sometimes you pray for somebody and they still die. Sometimes you pray that a marriage can be saved and there's still divorce. Sometimes it's not and they all lived happily ever after in our stories. And that's hard to swallow. It's hard to understand that. In the book, The Natural, it's one of my favorite books, Bernard Malamud, but in the movie version of this book, um, at the end of the story, uh, Roy Hobbs hits the game-winning home run, and Pop Fisher's team is saved, and he can keep ownership of the team, and he hits this home run, it's slow motion, it goes up in the stands, and it's, da -da -da, it's music, and it's dramatic, and he finishes, he comes off the field, and the last scene of the movie is him playing catch with his little boy out in the field, and they're playing catch, and it's just like, oh, that's perfect, but that is not the way the book ended. I'll save you time by reading, from reading the book. I'll just tell you this. At, at the end of the natural, in the book, he takes a bribe from the owner of the team to throw the game. And he strikes out in his last at-bat. And the team loses. The commissioner of baseball finds out that he took the bribe and they banned him from life from baseball. The end. That is not a very compelling story. It's tragic and it's sad. It was resolved, but not well. Not like we would like it to be. That's why when they decided to make a movie, they said, we're changing this whole thing. We're not going to let it end like that. We want people to leave on a high note, feel good about themselves. And so they changed the story. In Genesis chapter 3, our story begins in many ways. Adam and Eve living the good life. They know God face to face. And then sin enters the world when Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God. There, this is conflict, get it? Their will was opposed to God's will. God said, don't do this. And they said, I'm going to do that. It really wasn't even Satan's fault. It was people's fault. And they said, I'm going to rebel against God. And the second day they did, consequence, there was conflict in the world. Sin entered the world. And because of that, death arrived on the scene. But in that moment, God said, I'm not going to let the story end like that. And he 
put a plan into motion where he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to resolve this for his glory so that he could reconcile people back to himself so they would not have to have their story end with them in hell. And he sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin so that our lives could be reconciled with God, so that our story could have the resolution that God wants to have. We don't talk about heaven and hell very often. Let me read this to you. This is Revelation chapter 21. John, who was the disciple of Jesus, he was the beloved, he, he wrote this uh, from the Isle of Patmos. Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All things will become new in that day. And that doesn't just mean that it's like what we've got except a better version. We are going to experience God in a way that we could not possibly imagine. And this is the resolution to the story. This is the resolution to your story, ultimately, if you choose to follow Jesus. The key to making it to heaven, the key to doing what God has called us to do in this life is trust in God. It's perseverance saying, I'm never going to give up on what God has called me to do and the dream he's put in my life. I'm never going to give up on it because that's the only time you've truly failed is when you give up. Let's pray. God, we love you today, and I'm so thankful that every one of us here in this room can have a divine ambition for you, no matter our age or race or background. Your grace knows no bounds, and your calling knows no bounds. So I pray today, Lord, as we begin to engage you in this ambition for our lives, God, as we begin to walk through opposition, as we begin to hear the voice of naysayers in our lives saying we can't and we won't and we're not good enough, God, let us not forget what you have said, that you have called us to this, that it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be good. So God, I pray right now that you would encourage us in the face of fear. Give us boldness. Give us daring, not in ourselves, but in you. God, I pray for those that are here today that feel like, that feel like giving up. They've been struggling. They've been dealing with conflict and hurt and pain. God, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would see them and let them not give up. Let them not give up on their calling, on their dream, on their relationship with you. Let them continue to pursue you with everything they've got. Give them strength today. Encourage them today. Now, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here and you say, Mel, um, I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really walking with God, but I know I need to be today. I need to get into a relationship with him. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, pray for me. I need to get some things right with God today. Okay. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven, but man, I'm struggling. And I've felt like giving up. Circumstances in this life are tough, and I'm struggling, and I just need God to help me today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you. A lot of hands all over the place. Thank you so much. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. When I say amen, the worship team is going to begin to play, and our prayer team is going to join us on either side of the stage. And I would like all of us, as worship starts, stand, and we're going to worship together. And if you need prayer for any reason, whether you need to respond to this message, if you need just a physical healing in your body, if you need a breakthrough in your life, if you need a miracle in your marriage, whatever the case is, whatever you've got in this place, 
Give it to God. Come find one of our prayer team members. We want to agree with you in prayer and believe that God can help you through that. So let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are you can do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. And God, I pray right now that we would not give up. God, I pray for every person that's here that's struggling in their walk with you, struggling with circumstances in this life. Let them see that you are bigger than that. The Lord, you have overcome the world already, and all we need to do is walk with you and trust you. So God, I pray right now for those that feel like giving up on whatever it is. God, I pray they wouldn't stop, that they would take one step after another, that they would put their trust and faith and hope in you fully, and you'd be glorified through this situation. So God, have your way in this place. I pray your blessing on it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.